You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Third Cup of Coffee. My name is Randy Bolander, and I am glad to have you with me. We are diving into part six of our series, Miracles the Jesus Way. This is audio from our church, The Bridge, here in Kansas City, on a series that we've been doing on Sunday mornings. And I've got to tell you, this one was sobering for me. The idea that Jesus has very real expectations on our lives. The idea that he looks at us from a distance and says, there should be fruit there. And there are times when he doesn't find it. It, it rocked me a little bit. I hope you'll learn a little bit and I hope you will grow. If you're interested more in the church, you can find us at the bridge KC. Dot church. It's the bridge, KC.church. We are currently meeting in Olathe at the Culture House, kind of a dance studio situation. And uh, it's fun. It If you're looking for polish and if you're looking for everything top notch, we're probably not it. I'm just going to be honest with you. But if you're looking for a band of people who are going hard after the Lord and are looking to build a laboratory as opposed to a production, uh, maybe we're for you. Check it out. TheBridgeKC.Church. Stick with us for Miracles the Jesus Way, Part 6. I live, if you've been to my house, I live within sight of State Line Road, okay? Uh, in my prime, I might have been able to throw a rock from... That's a lie. Never in my lifetime, whatever. But somebody else, a physical specimen of some sorts, could have thrown a rock that far. Ted, I believe, could have at some point. It's pretty close. Maybe now. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But it's that close. My point is, there is a road, and on one side is Missouri, and on the other side is Kansas, and they're different. Like, they're really different in some ways. The only difference in that is a random road that they picked, or in other places, it's an arbitrary boundary. And life can be very different on one side or the other. Up until 1928, you could not enter the Missouri River from the Missouri side and take a bath. If you wanted to take a bath, you had to cross over to the Kansas side and then enter. It was legal on the Kansas side. I don't know why, but up until 1928, that was the rule. It's only the beginning of how laws are arbitrarily applied from one place to the next. And it's easy to get confused and not be sure of what the laws are where you live. Because the key to enforcement is clarity and consistency. And when there's not clarity and consistency, that's where all of the great conflicts arise. Whether it's a conflict among your children, right? What do you hear? Hey, you said, they said, now now you're not letting me. Or it's a conflict between nations. It's the consistency or the inconsistency that causes conflict. There are, however, laws that apply to everyone no matter where you find them. Now, not even federal laws do that. There are other nations where those laws don't apply. There are uh, Native American reservations where they don't apply. But there are a set of laws that equally apply everywhere on earth. They're called the laws of the universe. And they don't care about your geography. They don't care about your politics. They don't care about your faith. They're the laws of physics, of biology, even of psychology. Even if people have a different mentality in other nations, psychologically, they kind of still work the same. We're all a part of a world where there is a similar code, and you can relocate, and you can argue, and you can ignore, but you can't avoid those laws or those rules. 
unless you're Jesus, okay? Jesus regularly broke the laws of the universe. We call those miracles. Miracles are the result of Jesus breaking rules. It's like miracles are a rebellion against the whole fallen world. And the fallen world says everything works this way, and Jesus says, "Eh, except when I don't want to. And we have been in a series of the miracles of Jesus for the past, I guess, six weeks. If you track the ministry of Jesus in his wake, there is a history of people who were healed, people who were brought back from the dead, and times when he generally suspended the laws of physics. Following Jesus, you see blind eyes opened, you see dead people walking, and you see storms that he managed to walk through and even just call them off. When Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, one of the primary actions that backed up that assertion of who he was was his supernatural life and his ability to suspend the laws of the universe. There are portions of his expression that existed beyond the universe that we are all bound in. He came to earth as a man, but his will and his way existed outside those rules that apply to all of us. And when his law or his rule or his intention was different than the rules that we are bound by, he said, I'm suspending those rules. And he would do a miracle. He suspended them to make room for the kingdom and what he wanted to do, which is why, as a leadership team, when we have been meeting, we've been praying. We met Tuesday night, our leadership team meets. We met Tuesday night, spent about the first half of our time together just in prayer saying, Lord, what do you want to do? Because if we can figure out what he wants to do, you just follow those footsteps, it's fine. He suspends all the rules to get his will done. Miracles are what happens when he suspends the rules. But why did he, like what motivated, what were the times when he would go, okay, now's the time I'm going to do it. A couple of reasons he would suspend the rules. One was compassion, intense compassion for people. Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus was moved to compassion when he saw the crowds that were full of disease and affliction. His heart was moved. He's not a cold-hearted God. If you look at some of the gods that other people serve, you find very cold, clinical, dispassionate gods. The Norsk god Odin. You could serve Odin your entire life, and if you didn't die in battle, no Valhalla for you. I don't know why Odin speaks in a bad Spanish accent in my mind. That makes no sense. But, but he says, you do not get into Valhalla if you don't die in battle. He's cold. He's dispassionate. There's no grace there. There's no sense of compassion. But Jesus was tenderhearted. And there were times where he would suspend the physical laws that people live under. He's moved by compassion in the moment, even though better than anybody else, he knows it's going to be okay. There's something about information about how things are going to end that kind of can make you a little bit less compassionate, isn't it? Those of you that have multiple children, you know, the first child at the first sight of blood, you were racing to the emergency room, right? I remember when uh, Jackson was just tiny, it's like 100 years ago, and Kelsey was clipping his, his toenails, and she clipped it, and he bled he's bleeding it's like well we knew he had blood I mean we knew it was going to happen but it's the first time you see that first child bleed you go full ER by the third child you know they could be a broken bone and you're like well the copay and then there's this 30 minutes to the ER you know it's like it's just a you know it's going to be okay you don't panic quite as bad 
when you know how it's going to turn out. But Jesus, who knew fully it was going to be okay, I mean, Jesus could have looked at people who were blind and go, oh, you'll see in the next life. It's going to be okay. Lazarus, you're dead. You're not going to be dead forever. It's going to be all right. He was moved by compassion to suspend the rules of the universe. Let me encourage you, when you are praying for a miracle, appeal to his compassion, not his logic. I have heard the craziest instructions about arguing God into moving on your behalf. How does that work when your kids do it? It's irritating, isn't it? Appeal to his compassion. His heart was moved by compassion to do miracles. That's one of the reasons he did miracles. But there's another reason he did miracles. He did miracles to display his authority and expectations. His authority and expectations. There is a war on authority. There always has been. From the snake in the garden that said, did God really say all the way to performers on a stage now playing out the part of a rebel, there has always been an audience for those who are promoting rebellion. It exists when those under authority think that those in authority are wrong or have impossible expectations. When, those, when the authority seems heavy-handed or we don't understand why, that's when rebellion happens. Rebellion is the expression of frustration that comes with a diminishing respect for authority. And in a sense, the church has aided the enemy in emphasizing Jesus' humility... Well, and I don't know that you can emphasize it too much, but we have emphasized his, um, his humility and we have minimized his authority. We've made him a friend, but we haven't necessarily made him a leader. Jesus' humility is all through the Bible. It's a pattern for us. It is inspiring. It is beautiful. But so is his very reasonable, real expectations on your life. He's humble, but he's authoritative. He came in humility, but he never suspended his role of, as God. And there were times when the miraculous was on display so that other people could make the connection that, oh, my word, he's in charge. Matthew 16, it's after being reminded that Jesus had fed 5,000 people in one point, 4,000 people at the other. Simon Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. It's like he, it dawned on him. That miracle displayed your authority. When we saw him cast the demons into pigs and they ran down the, the hill and into the water, it was both compassion for the man who was tormented by the demon and it was a demonstration of those who hold power that he holds more power and that he's in charge. With authority comes the right to have expectations of you. I saw this article today where a politician... Uh, a politician who is pro-abortion and is Catholic has come to odds with the archbishop of their community. And the archbishop has said, well, they call themselves a good Catholic, I don't think you can be a good Catholic and not be pro-life. And that politician pressed back and said, I think it's unfair to tell people what they should do. I'm like, lady, you think you got problems with the archbishop? Wait till Jesus gets a hold of you. 
Like the archbishop, actually, he's kind of the Catholic who tells you if you are or not. Okay, if the archbishop doesn't know, ain't nobody know if you're Catholic. Okay, the archbishop knows. But even above the archbishop, Jesus has expectations of us. And this idea of, oh, I don't know that he should have expectations. What Bible are you reading? There are times he did miracles to show that he had authority and expectations. In fact, there's one instance where his intervention into the physical world, where he suspended the rules of physics, brought death. You know that? It's like, wait, 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 he did a miracle and something died? What about blind eyes open, people walking out of graves? No, there's actually, there's a time where Jesus did a miracle and something died. Matthew 14. Sorry, Mark 11. Mark 11. Starting verse 12, we're just going to talk through this passage and learn about Jesus doing a miracle and something dying. Mark 11, starting in verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And in seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, stop there just for a second. A little understanding of what's going on here, okay? When we think of a fig tree, whatever you're thinking of, probably bigger, okay? They were about three feet in circumference. It was a, a, a bulky tree, 20 to 30 feet tall, about a 30 foot spread. Think about the size of like an apple tree. It's quite significant. And a fig tree can produce up to three crops a year and at times at different levels on the tree. You can have fig trees here one month. You can have figs over here on the tree. And it's like, it's more often than not you can find figs on a fig tree somewhere. And when you see leaves, they are in fig. In other words, if, it, if there are leaves on the tree, you can expect to find figs somewhere. So even though it might not have exactly been the season, maybe he, it looked like they were coming earlier, but he looked at a fig tree, thought there should be figs there. He gets there, there's not. He curses the tree. And the disciples heard it. A fig tree can produce figs almost at any time, and if you see leaves, you should expect figs. Now stop for a second and say we're not talking about fig trees. Let's say we're talking about us. There are times when we feel fruitful in our Christian walk and we feel like, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than I was. That's what I tell people all the time when they ask about me. And like, I'm better than I was. You should have seen me before. I'm, I'm bearing some fruit. And we look around and we sense the goodness of God and without being smug, we acknowledge that we are growing and we are developing and reflecting the nature of Christ in our own lives. And then there are times when we crash. And if it were not for the Chick-fil-A boxes in the backseat of our car, no one would even know we were a believer. Okay, like that's like the most fruit we have is stale Chick-fil-A in the back of our car. There are times when fruit is hard to find in our lives and we blame the season. Going through a hard time. Yeah, Jesus expects fruit. Oh, but yeah, but I've got all these other things going on. Yeah, Jesus kind of expects fruit. In fact, you've got leaves. You've got all the trappings that says there should be fruit, but there's no fruit. 
It is not illogical for Jesus to expect fruit in our lives, especially when the circumstances surrounding you would indicate that fruit should be found. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In other words, if you're connected to the tree, there should be fruit in your life. Now, do you understand the difference between salvation and sanctification? Okay, I mean, they sound similar, but here's the deal. Salvation is becoming one with Jesus and escaping the punishment that we all deserve. Sanctification is collaborating with him in our lives to see fruit produced. We are sanctified when we come to him. We spend our entire lives being sanctified, and then we are ultimately sanctified when we reside with him in glory. But it's a process, but it should be happening all along. It's never perfect, but it's in a process. Now, salvation is not a hard sell, which is why at various times you can fill arenas with people and say, would you like to not go to hell? Well, sign me up for that. I mean, you know, that's salvation. Now, there are people who resist, but salvation, standalone, is not hard to sell. Sanctification? Much harder product to sell. Much harder to convince people that sanctification should be happening in their lives. Because to cooperate with the sanctifying process is to adjust our behavior and our attitudes to meet Jesus' expectations. At the end of the age, as time marches on and we get closer to this age that we live in, transitioning into the next, one of the things that will really press towards a great falling away is when people begin to understand that Jesus has expectations of them. Well, who is he to expect anything of me? Who does he think he is? Early 2000s, Hollywood celebrities started to wear t-shirts that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Okay? And it was refreshing because, well, one, they had clothes on. That's a step in the right direction. Two, it was projecting the very real idea of friendship with Jesus. And Jesus wants to be their friend. But heaven helped the person who tried to point out that their homeboy had expectations. Hey, your boyfriend called and he left some instructions. They'd say things like, well, we don't really think Jesus wanted to dictate how we live. We just wanted friendship with him. Jesus can be your homeboy, but your homeboy poured out some pretty strong instructions. He said, bear fruit. He actually said, bear much fruit. Because if you don't bear fruit, it's clear we're not connected. You've been there, you got the t-shirt, you forgot everything he said, and you kept the t-shirt. Leaves on the tree. No figs to be found. What does fruit in our lives look like? Looks like growth, looks like maturity, looks like love for others, looks for, like compassion, it looks like generosity, it looks like other-centeredness. All of these things are not just the bonus or the part that gets us to be more likable when we follow God. It is the expectation of Jesus on our life. And we, those who profess to believe but cannot show the fruit are like a fig tree in leaf with no fruit. He deserves what he's asking for. 
With his disappointment came something that you don't see very often in the Bible. Jesus curses something. I told Kelsey this week that the title of the message was going to be Cursing Jesus. She said, I don't think you can use that. But in this case, it's what he did. Verse 14, and he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. That is like my favorite line in the whole story. And his disciples heard it. Think of Jesus less as a CEO of these disciples and more as a father figure, okay? He's in his 30s. Most of these guys are in their late teens. They're younger than he is. And you all know kids hear everything. Sometimes as a parent or an authority figure, you actually use that to your good to motivate them. You say to your spouse, today we're going to clean the garage, mow the yard, trim the bushes, and if we do all that, we'll get ice cream. And the kids heard, we got ice cream? They hear everything. And the disciples heard he cursed the tree. They took note of it. They might have discussed it later. Boy, he was ticked about that tree. What does it mean to curse a tree? And so they go on about their business, and some things transpire that we're going to circle back to in just a little bit. Right now, let's just rejoin the story in Matthew 11, verse 20. Okay, we're going to circle back, but go to verse 20. As they passed by it in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. It wasn't just that it would never produce fruit again. The tree was dead. Now, when a plant or a tree dies, it usually dies from the extremities, okay? Some of you have, have plants or trees in, in your, your house, and, and parts of them are dead. They're dead here, but not dead there. This thing died from the bottom up. The roots were withered. No one would, could say, the tree's sick, it'll get better. No, the tree was dead. This is almost parallel to his comments in John 15, where he says that we abide in the vine and we produce fruit. John 15, 6, he goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Friends, if there is no fruit in our lives, if there is no life in our spiritual veins, we are cut off. I'm not admonishing you to scold you as children, but to warn you as men and women. We don't get the option to be in Christ, fig trees in leaf and unproductive in our walk. Like that, that's actually not a, a checkbox to find on the whole form. People have this idea that they can kind of go into almost like a, a shutdown mode. And well, you know, I, I, I confess the name of Jesus and I'm saved and I'm going through a hard time right now. I'm not really working on it. I'm kind of withdrawing. From it. Bears can hibernate. Believers cannot. All right. A bear can eat themselves fat, go climb into a cave and sleep for months. We're not bears. We're plants. We're trees. We're fig leaves. We're meant to produce fruit at all times. You don't get to hibernate. Now, Jesus went on to teach about faith in the passage that follows this, and it's often misinterpreted. He says in Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answered them. After he's cursed the tree, and they're looking around, they see all, he goes, have faith in God. Who's God in this story? He is. He's actually saying, have faith, faith in me. 
People who say that Jesus never claimed to be God don't read their Bible. He referred to himself as God often. He's actually encouraging him, them to believe in him and believe in what he says and what he has called them to. And what he has called them to requires that if they're going to display leaves, if they're going to identify with him, if they're going to say I'm connected to the vine, there's got to be fruit there. He goes on to say, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. People pull that whole passage out and use it to pray for the craziest things. You know what he's actually talking about there? Fruit. Pray that you would produce fruit. He said, I will produce in you everything you ask for and lean into. If you want more, more patience, you ask for it and I will help you find it. If you want more grace, ask for it and I will help you find it. He's talking about appealing to him to produce fruit. That phrase about removing mountains was actually a common colloquialism. Say, why is that important? Because all languages have these little idioms or these little phrases that we use that if you did not know the language or you only knew the meaning of the words and not the meaning of the phrase, you would go, what does that mean? Like we, we use the phrase, you know, it, it hit the fan. Well, what, what fan? What, what, what hit it? Did it get hurt? We need to clean it up. You know, there's an elephant in the room. Oh my, that's, you know, it must be crowded in there. We understand we don't mean exactly there's an elephant in the room. If there's an elephant in the room and it hits the fan, that's a big day. This expression about telling the mountain to be thrown into the sea was one they had been familiar with. William Barclay says it was a regular vivid phrase about removing difficulties or removing obstacles. He said, you want fruit? Ask me to help remove the obstacles so you can have fruit. I want you to have fruit. You want to have fruit. Just a few things in the way. Ask of me. I will move those out of the way and you will be fruitful. Jesus saw a tree in leaf but not producing figs as a difficulty to be dealt with. He's like, we're going to do something here. He did not curse the tree recreationally. Okay, Hey guys, watch this. Learn this from dad. Poof. The tree showed every reason to be fruitful, but it wasn't, and it wasn't just a waste of space. It was sucking resources from the earth from others who could be fruitful. And if that tree goes, maybe others can produce fruit. Cast this mountain into the sea, curse the unproductive tree, call it what you want. Jesus said there was a power available to those who would agree to him they wanted to produce fruit in their lives. It's going to sound harsh, but there are times people need to produce fruit or get out of the way. Jesus cursed the tree, but really, why? Why does he do miracles? Compassion and to display his priorities and his expectations. This was not about Jesus throwing a fit because he didn't get a snack. You know, you read this quickly. Jesus is like, that was cold, man. He just totally cursed a tree because he didn't get figs. No, no, no. It was an illustration and it's interesting that in Mark, he separates the story. If you read the story in Matthew, Matthew condenses it down. Matthew is written much more topically. When you, when you read things in Matthew, they're often not exactly in chronological order. Because he talks about this, tells you the whole story, talks about this, tells you the whole story. Mark, on the other hand, sticks very close. If you're sitting around the fire, you want Mark to tell the story. Because he gets very detailed. 
And one of the things Mark does is in between Jesus cursing the fig tree that had leaves but no figs and coming back to it and going, daggone, tree's dead. In the middle, there's this episode. And it's, like he said last week, it's like he makes a sandwich out of the thing. And the meat is in the middle. Going back up in the book of Mark here. Mark records verses 15 to 17 as happening in that window of time. Remember, Jesus is moved by compassion and his zeal to reveal his authority and expectation. And he has expectations of all of us and they are valid and they're relational and living in the tension of his valid expectations and our reluctance to produce fruit is a dangerous place. When we resist his authority, we refuse him the fruit that he logically and really deserves And we see Jesus act in ways that we don't expect Jesus to act. Mark 11, 15 to 17. This is the piece that happens in the middle between him cursing the tree and coming back and finding the tree dead. And they came to Jerusalem and they entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now I've taught through this in the past year uh, at least once, so I'm not going to go too far into this. But if you missed it, this is what's happening here. Okay, People were traveling from a long distance to offer a sacrifice in the temple. And it was hard to take your your sacrifice, your calf, your bird, whatever it was. If you're going to travel a long ways, it was difficult to travel, let alone with this animal. So, let the market prevail. Somebody starts selling animals to sacrifice there at the temple. Hey, are you going to go sacrifice the temple? Yeah. Are you going to take the sacrifice? No, I'll get one when I get there. Okay, when you get there, you buy one. Well, what was really going on was they were selling them a sacrifice... They were taking the sacrifice in. The the priest would receive the sacrifice, go back into the Holy of Holies, go back out through the back door, go back around and sell the same sacrifice to somebody else. This was like, they made good money on that bird. Because they didn't have to go restock the shelves. How profitable could a store be if they could just take the stuff once people leave and put it back on the shelf? So this is what is going on in the temple. Also, we realize that people are cutting through the outer court. It says they're just walking through it. Whatever you're thinking now in the way of outer court, it's probably smaller. At this point, the outer court had been expanded. At this point in history, it's, archaeologists tell us, 14 to 20 acres. So it's almost like a park that was meant for the dedication to the Lord, but because it has grown so big and it's, been, its borders have become so porous, people are just like, you know, a guy's painting his house on this side, and Sherwin-Williams is over here, he's just cutting through the, the temple to go get his, you know, Johnson County beige and take it back through, the, through and put it over here. People are cutting through, we're selling birds four and five times, Jesus walks in and goes, this is... This is not what I meant. You wouldn't, no, it's like you have the, you've got the trappings of Judaism, but you don't actually have Judaism going on. You're like a fig tree with leaves, but there's no figs here. 
Activity that would have been perfectly allowed outside the temple was being allowed in the temple, and the temple had become regarded as an extension of the world rather than the world being considered an extension of the temple. If the temple were to be spoken of in terms of a nation, it had a trade deficit. There was more coming in than was going out. The church cannot afford to operate at a trade deficit. I, I am so deeply, more so now than at any time in my life, concerned about the culture of the church in America. We are importing culture from the world into the church, and we are exporting almost nothing. The church should be exporting culture, should be exporting art, should be exporting music, should be exporting thought. The thought leaders of our culture should come from within the temple that they shouldn't be wandering through the temple from the outside. Jesus came to the fig tree and he saw leaves and he expected to find something and when he didn't, he responded with a firm correction. Jesus came to the city and he saw the temple and he expected to find something and when he didn't, he responded with firm correction. The Bible says he turned over the tables. One version says he actually made a whip. This was not Jesus throwing a temper tantrum. No, Jesus was very, very intentional here. He made a whip, took a little time. You can see the disciples going, what are you doing? I'll show you. What are you doing? Hold on a second. You're going to want to see this. Remember the fig tree? That was just the flannel graph picture of what's about to happen. Because there is, this has the trappings, it should be fruitful, but it's not. And I'm going to deal with it. And he drives them out. Now, y'all are smart enough to know, this is not actually about a fig tree. And in the sense that I'm relating it to us, it's not even really about the temple. Jesus is getting ready to come to church. He sees a tree at a distance with leaves. And he says, there should be fruit there. And when I get there, I hope I find fruit. Because if I don't find fruit, then I realize they really weren't connected to the vine at all. I want to ask Zion if he'd step back to the keyboard for a moment. Jesus has expectations on your life. They are not outrageous. And they're not completely up to your doing. He is so willing to help you. In many places across the church, and maybe even in our own lives, he looks for fruit, and he only finds fig leaves. Fig leaves covered Adam's nakedness, but they didn't cover his sin. They made Adam feel a little better, but they didn't solve the problem. Their power is mostly psychological. They make us feel like something real is happening when it's not. And that's how we end up living deluded lives with leaves on our branches and no fruit. Jesus expects something. John 15, 5 and 6. Let me read this one more time. Stand with me. Just close your eyes for a moment. And let me read these words of a very loving Jesus. 
who says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and they're burned. You were made to do more than just draw strength from Jesus and show the leaves of salvation. You were made to export his character into your life and the life of others as manifest in fruit in your life. Galatians 5 calls it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the basic building blocks to a fruitful life. Some of you are even thinking, Randy, wouldn't it have been a little more productive to talk about those things at length? No, we don't need a clinic on kindness. We need to be shoved off the selfish train. Like we understand what it means to be kind. What we don't know is how to let go of ourselves. We don't need a pep talk about faithfulness. We need a hard look at ourselves to show us where the unfaithfulness is. So Father, as we go back into just a moment of worship, we ask that you would speak to our own hearts. Lord, we look at ourselves hard this morning and we ask, where is the fruit? And in those places maybe where there is none, we speak to the mountain, we say be gone. We want to move every obstacle between us and being fruitful in you, Jesus. Lord, we don't want to use the season as an excuse. We don't want to use our own difficulty as an excuse. We don't want to use what other people have done to us as an excuse. Where there are leaves, God, that you would find fruit in our lives. We want to be like you, Jesus. Talk like Jesus. See like.